Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia, and today, I have a special guest co-host with me. It is Fonda. Hi, Fonda. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? Good. So this is a new era of repodcasting. You are kicking off the uh, Sans Janet, unfortunately, uh, era of repodcasting. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, you're a perfect first guest co-host for this, um, as we are in the same podcast network, the Alberta Podcast Network, of course. So yeah, thank you for being here. Yes, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to kick off this new year and the new era with you. <laughs> yeah, and as part of that, uh, I asked if you could pick a movie for this, and you chose an excellent one. So today we're talking about the 1993 film Sleepless in Seattle. So Fonda, what made you choose this movie? Well, you had suggested something that is either New Year's or a holiday sort of movie. And I thought, well, what's more holiday than Sleepless in Seattle? It takes place over three holidays, Christmas, <laughs> New Year's and Valentine's Day. So, um, and also I'm a big Meg Ryan fan, always kind of have been. And yeah, I just thought, I wondered, of course, if you had already done it, because I think it's kind of like a film that's very, very 90s-ish, but also kind of actually works pretty well still, um, just even in the world of online dating and things like that. So I was just uh, curious to revisit it and chat with you about it for sure. Yeah, I was excited when you chose it because I definitely saw this, like I didn't see it in theaters, but I would have seen it, you know, when it was playing on TV kind of thing, probably, you know, a year or two after it was out. And then never saw it again, even though I had liked it. So revisiting it was really fun for this. Um, and I wasn't sure how well it would hold up. But, but you know, for the most part, I think it does hold up really well. Yeah, that, I mean, we'll, well, we'll get into it <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff that I would worry about <laughs> in this one. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, well, and I'll also say this. I did tell another friend that I was going to be recording this today. And the response was, oh, you're recasting that movie? Because, you know, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are so iconic in this film, especially, even though they did three films together. Um, that, you know, I think it's kind of hard for people to imagine recasting them. Absolutely. Yeah, I will. I will fully admit that I had a hard time with it for a number <laughs> of reasons, not just because the two of them are so iconic together, but there's other stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, the box office for this movie, um, I never know if like, films get re-released and then if they do if that gets included in the current numbers but at any rate um this movie had a budget of 21 million dollars which for 1993 and for a romantic comedy that seems high mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that's really high. i imagine it's just because they were both such big bona fide stars that they probably had pretty big paydays yeah, Tom Hanks was really coming into his own at that time. Like Philadelphia came out in the same year, um, followed by Forrest Gump and all the other things. And Toy um, Story was around was, here too. Yeah, Meg Ryan was also sort of like on this precipice of just like 
so many things she did right after. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of to do a little bit of the research and to see how this film was dated in their careers um, was also kind of an interesting exercise. Okay, actually, I didn't really look into that too deeply. So I'm excited if you have more stats on that. Um, well, so um, as far as the box office that it made, this movie made $227 million worldwide. So it was just a mega hit. Huge. Yeah. yeah. And it came out in the summertime, which is kind of interesting because it's totally a Christmas movie to start. <laughs> yeah. It definitely doesn't feel like a summer blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, rom-coms. And I hear, I, I read, I read up that the the majority of the audience was women um, who okay. like really kind of went in and, and ran with it, I guess. And I can, I can see that because yeah. Meg's likable. Tom Hanks is very likable. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, do you have like a brief synopsis of the movie for us? Yes, I do. Um, I've, I've typed out a little bit of something Ooh. so that, because there's actually <laughs> a lot that happens in the movie. Definitely. Um, so to set up, we begin with widower Sam, played by Tom Hanks, and his son Jonah, who is eight years old. Um, they have relocated from Chicago to Seattle to escape the grief from the death of Jonah's mom and Sam's wife. Her name is Maggie. Um, so it's fast forwarded to 18 months after um, mom has died. And Sam, of course, is still grieving and he can't sleep. So Jonah, in his <laughs> infinite eight-year-old wisdom, calls a national radio therapy talk show um, on Christmas Eve um, to and and uh, to try and help his dad. And Sam gets on the phone with the radio host and ends up pouring his heart out over the national airwaves about how his magical and perfect marriage to Maggie um, has ended in tragedy and how much he still misses her. And so among the many women who hear this, um, who hear Sam's story and fall in love with him immediately over the radio is Annie Reed, played by Meg Bryan. She's in Baltimore. Um, she is a journalist. And this this moment is caught in one I what I think is one of the great rom-com scenes of all time, where Annie is listening in her car radio to um Sam pour his heart out. And um, you know, she's singing Christmas carols and all this stuff. And then she hears this story. Um, and Sam is just um beautifully played in, you know, by a heartbroken uh Tom Hanks. Um, and she hears this while she's driving between Christmas celebrations without her fiance in the car. So she's alone in the car. You realize, you learn just before this that she is engaged to Walter, played by Bill Pullman, um, who is a reliable and nice, but kind of unmagical sort of guy. Um, and this really bothers Annie that he's not, he's the connect, their connection doesn't feel very magical. So she pursues this infatuation that she just immediately develops with Sam. Um, and kind of, it's kind of based around the 1957 film An Affair to Remember, which famously yeah. ends in, uh, you know, a lot of kismet and Empire State Building things. And on New Year's Eve, Walter suggests to Annie out of the blue that they take a trip to New York City for Valentine's Day to get their wedding registry in order and that kind of thing. And so Annie's like, great. In the meantime, she also writes a letter to Sam proposing that they meet at the top of the Empire State Building um, on Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, meanwhile, back in Seattle, Sam is receiving hundreds of letters from uh, women who have heard his story over the radio who are all infatuated with him. Jonah 
finds Annie's letter um, and because she's from Baltimore and she likes a certain baseball player that is a sign that it's all meant to be um jonah becomes convinced that annie is the one like capital t capital o and he will do anything to get annie and sam together including sabotaging all of his father's dates and booking a cross-country flight solo to uh visit new york with the help of his friend jessica who's played by a lovely little gabby hoffman Jessica's mom is a travel agent, so I guess that helps. Anyway, Jessica knows yeah. how to work the computers already at eight years old. So there's a whole bunch of magic and happenstance that take place in between. And the three of them, uh, Jonah, Sam, and Annie, all do end up at the top of the Empire State Building at the end of the movie, 11th hour, Valentine's Day. Sam and Annie look into each other's eyes and realize they're absolutely meant to be together. And then they all take the elevator down to walk out into the streets of New York and supposedly their future with a very happy Jonah in tow. And so that is the gist of Sleepless in Seattle. Oh my God, I want to applaud. That was such a great recap of the movie. <laughs> I even missed some of the major points though, but we'll get to them. <laughs> oh, we will, we will. Yeah, I love the way that you encapsulated it because I'm a very pragmatic person. And so rom-coms are always difficult for me because they are very like magical and impractical. At the end of the movie, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks only share two minutes of screen time together. Mm -hmm. And they're meant to be together. And we finish the movie and we, we know that they'll be together, but they don't know each other at all. Yeah. And so I can't help but watch that and be like, okay. And then they get to know each other and it ends within a few months. Yeah. I want to see the sequel to what happens after Sleepless in Seattle. Exactly. But what's interesting too, so this is a movie written by Nora Ephron. And I guess while making the film, she was focused on its long-term legacy. A quote from her was, our dream was to make a movie about how movies screw up your brain about love. And then if we did a good job, we would become one of the movies that screw up people's brains about love. Yeah. And there's conversations directly in the movie about like, you want to be in love in a movie, not in real life. Yeah. There's all this talk about how it's impossible to get married over 40. And Annie is actually engaged to be married, yeah. but she's not happy with that because it, it's not that, you know, magical, serendipitous woo-woo that the rom-com would offer her, I guess. Yeah. And one thing that like... I don't know. I'm going to say they did well, but in a way, I think it's more detrimental. Bill Pullman is a perfectly nice guy. He cares about her a lot. He's very sweet. Okay, so he's a little dorky and he has allergies to lots of things. But to hold that against him and be like, well, toss him aside. I don't know. It just makes me sad. Yeah, it was like that's kind of other than Maggie dying. That's sort of the tragedy of the film is that like someone as nice as Walter and like and actually he's very thoughtful. You know, he offers this trip to New York. He gives her his mother's ring. Like there's so many things that were like great about Walter. And it's just like, Annie, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> and the absolute proof of how great Walter is, is how well he takes her breaking up with him. I know, right? Like, yeah. like, and like, and she immediately runs across town to go to the Empire State Building, yes. like on Valentine's Day. And he's just there, you know, yeah, hanging out. He's like, oh, well, like, I guess that's okay. Like, I don't know, maybe that's, <laughs> Maybe the fact that there was no fight in him, that there was no, like, th that kind of reemphasized that there was no real 
big passion behind him. And that was what Annie really had kind of an issue yeah. with. Right? That's actually, that's a good point. Why don't we take our first ad break and then we'll come back and talk about who we recast. Great. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Book Women. Book Women is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. And now back to the show. Okay, Fonda, let's start with your recasting as uh, you chose the movie. Yeah, I, okay, I, I said a little bit earlier that I did have a really hard time with this because I feel that it's actually two different movies. <laughs> there's this beautiful father-son story between Jonah and Sam, um, and there's a certain tone to it, and their relation, their, all of their, their scripting, their dialogue and everything. And then there's kind of like a completely different thing going on with Annie and her friends <laughs> and her crazy ideas about this man that she doesn't even know. And a lot of the um, ideas of kind of like she goes into this crazy, like investigative journalism thing, even though it's more stalkery when you kind of think about it. Oh, for sure. In any case. Okay. I'm going to start with the the Sam recasting because I was thinking a little bit about, you know, Tom Hanks is sort of this kind of like, he's not this very sort of like debonair, traditional sort of romantic lead. He's sort of like a regular guy, a little bit kind of goofy. And also he's on the precipice of like being the biggest actor in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. So I cast Adam Driver in this role. Oh. Because I thought I was like, who can play a good dad and a goofy dad? But also we've seen him play really kind of quirky romance in Girls and, you know, a couple of other instances. He has big range. He like he can do the sort of like weird fights that he and Jonah have. I could hear Adam's voice delivering these lines in the role yeah. in the conversations with Jonah. Um, and I thought it would be hilarious also because he's so just physically large, um, to play, <laughs> to play next to an eight-year-old for all of these scenes that are about yeah. like sex and dating and like things like that. <laughs> I just thought yeah. that it would be, um, I, I thought that it would be funny, but also he could definitely pull it off. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's a great choice. Yeah, yeah. And he has this kind of like interesting, awkward quality where he seems to kind of always be struggling with himself a little bit, not just physically, but also emotionally in his own range. Um, yeah. And I I do think that he would kind of like thinking of especially of some of the scenes in girls, I think that he would brilliantly pull off that sort of like sad, funny dad romance um balance okay. that that okay. Sam kind of has to pull off. Yeah, I've only seen him in Star Wars for the most part. So like, it is a bit weird to picture him uh, as, you know, a Tom Hanks, very nice guy. Because <laughs> he's definitely not a very nice guy in the Star Wars movies. Right. But like, I've seen clips from like Marriage Story or things like that. So I totally get where you're coming from. I think that's a really good choice. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a film called Annette that he was recently in that was kind of, um, it kind of shows him, he plays the dad of like a young toddler who's very talented, who's actually a puppet. Like it's it's okay. a really, really weird film. Um, <laughs> but, the, and, and, it, and it ends up going very, very dark. But also he's got sort of like dad stuff in that. He's got dad stuff in Marriage Story. And there's a lot of lesser known films where he's actually just really hilarious. I don't know, like his Saturday oh. Night Live appearances. Yes, all that kind I did of, like that. I, I do think that he could definitely, like thing about Tom Hanks is that he's very, like he's very regular guy charming. Mm-hmm. And Adam Driver is just sort of like a little bit weird, but also I think that he's going to be, like if you think of the career path of where he's at now, and where Hanks was, I feel like Adam Driver is probably the next kind of like weird, funny guy who can just be like in these insanely dramatic roles and just works well. Yeah. Yeah. That comparison is spot on for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. And then how about for Annie? <laughs> and then so for the entirely different rom-com side of things <laughs> with the crazy lady in love who is a... Uh, And I was just kind of like, who could I see in that car scene singing like horses, 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 horses? Like, who is that actor who who would do that? And so I was just kind of like, oh, my God, it's Mindy Kaling. It's totally Mindy Kaling. Because she like she has that sort of like Kelly Kapoor, like very like kind of insane. I'm in love with you. Don't you love me? Sort of thing. But also she's very funny. I think she's super likable. I love Mindy Kaling. Um, Mm -hmm. and she can, she can pull off the comedy. She can, she's got the fast talking sort of like quip. I think she would be a great Efron character in any film, probably of those, of the genre. Um, yeah. And I think that she would have some of those great scenes with her friend talking about movies and romance and yeah, I can see her falling in love over the radio like that. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I really liked, um, the Mindy project. I, kind of dropped off at a certain point because that was when we cut our cable but I can't believe I've never thought of her for a rom-com lead because she's perfect for that yeah totally (laughs) yeah that's so good I love it okay so um for me I'm really glad that we decided to cast it with contemporary people because you know Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are kind of perfect and they're frozen in this time for this movie like it's just perfect and so trying to recast it in that era is too daunting a task <laughs> too much too much leave them there <laughs> yeah so let's let's pretend we're doing a reboot i love it so for me um i actually have two choices for each cuz i just i was you know there were too many good choices and i was trying to figure out who could go with who well and so i landed on having two for each um and they're paired together so i'll just kind of like go like talk about them in pairs so first my first sam baldwin i cast jason schwartzman Mm -hmm. i think he's so talented and i think he's really funny but in this kind of like weird quirky way too I, i think people don't recognize like how funny he can be but also like he's done lots of dramatic stuff too where I can perfectly picture him you know doing the dramatic parts grieving his beloved wife and interacting with his eight-year-old son in this like kind of almost too adult for the child way yeah but you know he could embody that absolutely perfectly he's done a lot of roles where he's kind of 
where he is a romantic lead or where he's a little bit on the quirky side. I mean, he's been in seven Wes Anderson movies, so you know he can do quirky for sure <laughs> and whimsical. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> he also starred in an HBO show. It was kind of short-lived. It was called Bored to Death. And he's so funny in this show where he's kind of like, um, it's hard to describe. Like he he can kind of be a jerk, but you always see it from his perspective. Like you understand his actions for the most part. You're not like, why is this guy doing these things? And so I feel like if Jason Schwartzman can take that character and make him likable, <laughs> he can <Yeah>. definitely do <laughs> a Tom Hanks role. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's a good, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> and then paired with him, uh, my Annie for that um, pairing is Emma Stone. Meg Ryan is so charming. And as you mentioned, the behavior that she has in this movie, uh, it does lean to stalker territory. She abuses her power of um, because she's a journalist. And so she has databases that she can use for her work. And then she starts using them to stalk this man that she has a crush on that she's never met who lives on the other side of the country. Like this behavior is bonkers, but you're okay with it because it's Meg Ryan. And so I wanted to find someone who has that same type of charm in this day and age. And I'm a stone to me is it <laughs> yeah she could definitely pull this off yeah yeah she's so funny she's so charming um she's got this very like sweet and down-to-earth personality like it that that's what comes across to me in real life and so it also comes across in a lot of her roles and absolutely i think she could do a role like this and and not make you afraid of her <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big challenge, I think, with this this role, because looking at it just very objectively, it's kind of frightening like what she's what's happening with her. Yeah, and I was going to save this for later, but I'm going to bring it up now. There were a lot of I found a lot of other names of who was considered for the role of Annie at the time. And some of them, I'm like, oh, if you put that person there it would no longer be cute and charming. Like it would be stalkerish. Like mm -hmm. for example, Kim Basinger, who is a, an amazing actor, but she can do scary and villainous and things like that. And so I do feel like if you put her in this role and have her stalking someone, it would feel like stalking. It'd be scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then um, we, they also uh, considered Jennifer Jason Lee, who again is an incredible actor, but, I don't see her as coming across as cute and charming in a role like that. Yeah. She's one Jennifer Jason Lee is one of my favorites, but she's got a darkness that is like, you know, Meg Ryan doesn't have any darkness. Even when she's playing someone who's like edgy or hurt or, you know, things like that, or mourning even like city of angels and stuff. She's still just like full brightness and sunshine. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful way to put it because that's exactly it. Um, okay. So then for my second um, pairing. So this was the first person I thought of to replace Sam actually. And that is Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. He is someone who's grown on me over the years. Like I always thought he was good, but he's really grown on me. And especially once I saw him in like a handful of, you know, late night interviews and things like that, like on Conan and, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy who I already thought was a great actor is wildly charming. Like he mm -hmm. just, you just want to be around him. You just want to be near him. He's probably a little too like leading man and, and handsome for the role, but 
I still think that he could pull it off. Like he's done such a varied, he has such a varied career where, you know, you can definitely picture him as being able to do this kind of thing without it coming across in any kind of like smug or arrogant or, you know, he knows he's good looking kind of way, like where he could still kind of retain a sense of humility. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's got, he's definitely got that quality of like that, like nice guy, but he could also play like sad, funny really well. Like that's yeah. Yeah. And he's another one who I think people don't recognize that he can be really funny. There's a a Netflix special called John Mulaney and the sack lunch bunch. Not sure if you saw it, check it out. It's very weird and funny, but Jake Gyllenhaal's I don't even want to say too much about it because it's quite like surprising, but his bit in that special is like, I was howling, <laughs> laughing. Like it, it's just, he's absolutely wonderful in it. And so then to pair with him, the Annie for Jake Gyllenhaal's Sam, I picked Zoe Deschanel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's another one who I've seen her do dark roles for sure, but there is definitely a lightness to her that she can bring out really easily. and. Um, you know, she can be very like cute and quirky. And again, I, I don't always like those words to describe adult women, but I think that that's required for this role. So yeah, yeah so I think that Zoe Deschanel could really pull it off. And I, I like to see the chemistry between her and Jake Gyllenhaal. I think they would be a good pairing. Yeah, though. So the the whole talk about chemistry was something that I know I felt very odd about when I was trying to think about the casting because I'm like they're not in any scenes together where does this chemistry actually come from and I felt I was just like you know what the the chemistry and the romance in this movie is in the music like it's in that soundtrack it's in sort of like the scenes of the cities and just the idea of the holidays I think Zoe Deschanel is a great choice um for any kind of holiday movie after knowing her in Elf because she's just like a magical Christmas sprite (laughs) and (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, very very sunshiny she could definitely I can see her and Jake actually as a really great pair for sure yeah but you know what you're right it's such a good point that like they're you who cares if they have chemistry you barely see them together (laughs) yeah and even like even in you've got mail another meg ryan tom hanks movie they don't actually have a lot of screen time together a lot of it is just sort of like them being kind of great performers in their own right um and like just animating these these efron these very very romantic efron scripts that you know I think that, you know, you kind of are hard pressed to find actors who can make a romance just with themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so and that's kind of maybe part of the magic and the endearing part of this movie, too, is that they don't actually even need to be together for you to believe the story because it's yeah. such a good story. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I totally buy it when they are they're in an airport. Oh, because they're dropping off. Um, Victoria. Victoria. Thank you. Tom Hanks' girlfriend, which you can always tell what era of time a movie is set in because Tom Hanks and Jonah, Sam and Jonah, are at the gate (laughs) letting her (laughs) go. And you definitely can't do that anymore. But so then he sees Meg Ryan in the airport. And just like at a glance, he's like, oh my gosh, I, I need to know this person. And I have to say, like, I buy that scene. I buy that there was something there that he just felt he had to follow even mm-hmm. though they you know they don't speak at that moment they're hardly ever seen together 
I, I think that the chemistry comes through even so. In that scene, I completely agree with you. The, the one scene that I think is terribly awkward and I'm like, this can't be a thing is when Maggie goes to see or no, I'm sorry, Annie goes to Seattle and she's standing across from their houseboat yard, like yeah. across a four lane major highway. And she's looking at them and she sees Sam hug his sister. She doesn't know who she is or whatever, but she's like, oh no, it's another woman. And so Annie freezes in the middle of the road and almost gets hit by a semi and then yeah. a, and then a taxi cab. And it's like, <laughs> and at that same time, Sam also sees her and is like, oh, hello. And it's like, this is not real right now. Like, and yeah. then it's not, and it's not, like, it doesn't show us what the end of that scene is. I feel like it was almost kind of like, a throwaway or maybe it could have been a dream like it just right I, I was like there there's nothing that makes sense about that scene at all it's terrifying and I just I was like did you did we even need that you know I yeah in the in the end I don't think we actually did Th that's so true because it doesn't like if that was if that had happened then and she backs away because she doesn't want to get hit by a car then they just walk back away from each other. Like, yeah, like what's they the have end of that? Spoken at that point. Yeah, I never even thought of that, but that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah, it was. It just seemed so weird because I watched it twice. I, I again, also, I saw this film when I was younger, but I didn't watch it numerous times. Unlike You've Got Mail, which I watched many times, oh. um, or or one of my other favorite Meg Ryan movies is called Addicted to Love. Okay, um, yeah. And it's kind of actually another sort of like love stalker movie. She's with Matthew Brown. I don't know if you've seen it. I um, have. I saw that one in theaters. <laughs> yeah, she. it's with her and Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick and her also make a great pair. Um, and yeah, and they're basically stalking their exes. Mm -hmm. Who are now together, right? Yeah, who are now together. And then, of course, make Ryan and Matthew Broderick end up falling in love and whatever. Um, but she's kind of like really sassy. She rides a motorcycle in that, you know. Yeah, and she's she seems to have a little bit more like aggression and agency in that role, whereas mm -hmm. this, yeah, like I mean, I, thinking about it in just sort of like a logical writer's perspective, I was like, what does this scene actually do other than put them together before the ending for for yeah. a couple seconds? Yeah, and even like, yeah, I, I got to go back to the stalker behavior for a second. Like <laughs> just from hearing this man on the radio she then flies to seattle lies to her fiance about where she's going i mean just all of that is i don't know in most cases i would say that's pretty batshit sorry <laughs> it's really it bad is. yeah and it's and it's emotional cheating like it's emotional yeah. infidelity right i listened to this one podcast called popcorn psychology where they do they like they do movies and they do the psycho like the psychological mm. breakdown of the characters in the movie and they did do sleepless in seattle and they're like yeah annie needs to be in treatment <laughs> like <Yep>. this is not <laughs> healthy like she yeah she hires a private investigator and all these things and it of someone she doesn't know and like, I want to know, I want to believe that Sam is rational enough that when he finds out all of this, and that's why, you know, like she includes the baseball player in the letter and that kind of thing, because she knows this about him already. Uh, yeah. Like it's, um, yeah, it's a little sinister. I feel. <laughs> yeah. I guess the one thing in her defense is that 
she writes the letter, but then she decides she's not going to send it. She's like, this is too much. This is too crazy. I'm not doing it. And it's actually her friend, Rosie O'Donnell, who ends up mailing it. Yeah, it's Becky. Becky is our MacGuffin here. Like she, <laughs> she's the one that just like throws it all in. And it was kind of weird too. Some of the Rosie O'Donnell scenes in this, you wonder sort of like, what's up with her? She feels <laughs> a little like she she feels really bitter whenever Annie gets on her kind of like romantic sort of high horse about even about Walter um mm-hmm. there's all the, there's always a kind of like a shot afterward of Becky just like frowning and eating ice cream or something <laughs> <laughs> like oh, she's not happy for a friend or oh and so yeah then yeah like the idea of this letter getting sent without Annie's knowledge is kind of like another level of like oh these ladies maybe they um I don't know, maybe a little, maybe a little need help or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which just goes back to my point of this is going to be, they're going to break up in a few months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And poor Jonah will be even heartbroken then, but he, at least he has Jessica. Jessica seems like a great pal. One of the great things that I thought about, about this movie, like in, in terms of it holding up is that Jessica speaks in acronyms. Uh, and we're just in such like an acronym culture now with all of the yeah. texting and things like that. I was like, oh yeah, she's she survived now. That'd be good. She was ahead of her time. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey. And she's so good in this. I love Gabby Hoffman in this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she, well, and I mean, one of the great child actors of those days, right? She was in Uncle Buck and a bunch of other things too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did notice that, and this was after I cast Jason Schwartzman. He had auditioned for the role of Jonah because he was oh, a child back then. <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. one of the one of the interesting sort of like arcane bits of casting stuff that I heard about this was that they were thinking of casting Parker Posey as the babysitter. And yeah. I love Parker Posey in any role. I would have cast Me her as Meg too. Ryan if I felt that it didn't wouldn't be like too weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was supposed to play this sort of like Clarice character um, and then ended up getting cast in You've Got Mail. There was, I guess, a story to that um, with her and Nora Ephron. But uh, yeah, yeah, just it's interesting to see kind of like, you know, who would have landed in stuff. Rob Reiner was kind of an interesting um, friend for Tom Hanks's character in this, you know, like, yeah, he sort of like defines the era as well. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> now, they also were considering some other people before Tom Hanks. One of them was Dennis Quaid, which I thought was funny because he was married to Meg Ryan at the time. So mm-hmm. the part I couldn't figure out is who was cast first, if it was Tom Hanks or Meg Ryan. Um, but that would have been funny if it ended up being Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, and they, like, I think they were married for, like, a decade or so. They were married for a long time. I don't, oh, wow, I, yeah. I don't, see, like, I like Dennis Quaid, but I don't know that I see him as, like, that sort of, like, fun dad sort of type. <laughs> Yeah, it it would be a very different movie and not a better one. (laughs) Um, Some other people who are considered for the role of Sam, Michael Keaton, who I actually could see in that role for sure. Yeah, Um, John Travolta, which seems like such a bizarre choice. I I can't picture that whatsoever. I don't know. I feel like all John Travolta choices are bizarre in some way, but... (laughs) Um, yeah I don't yeah I don't I don't feel that he's like really romantic other you know know. yeah Mm -hmm. I agree Um, another one that I think would have been great was John Ritter oh yeah yeah he definitely could do this and then Bill Paxton 
is another one that like I have trouble picturing him like being a nice fun dad. <laughs> yeah. I still think that like the pa- the star power of Tom Hanks was kind of what made this movie go. You could have like you could kind of like throw anyone in those two roles because they're so separate. Yeah. Um but they're but they're both like they're kind of like synonymous star power with each other like yeah that's totally what made it bill paxton bill paxton and bill pullman i always get them i know (laughs) the names are just too similar even though the two characters or the two people are nothing alike i also get them mixed up a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah so this was um tom hanks and meg ryan's second pairing together after joe versus the volcano now I like that movie. I remember it like as a child, but it wasn't a big hit. It was pretty weird. Um, and it definitely like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of gone down as a bit of a cult movie, but kind of forgotten. So this movie was really the one that like cemented those two as like a power on screen couple. And it's so funny with You've Got Mail because it's also Nora Ephron, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just feels like she was she was trying to do a remake of Sleepless in Seattle with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and it's also sort of like a letter writing distant relationship where they actually don't know each other's identities, but the two characters in real, in, in real life in the movie know each other and they're oh, enemies. Okay. Um, so like what's, what's kind of, <laughs> I mean, what's kind of interesting is that like it is, Sort of, and and it's also based. Uh, You've got mail is also based on an older movie. I don't remember the name of it, but it was oh. um a, another oh, the shop around like, the corner or something yes, like that, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it and it You've got mail. I think just had some higher themes that it was dealing with too about um you know like the little the little independent bookstore versus the big box bookstore and how could they ever get along? How could they ever love each other when they're so kind of like ideologically different? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and and also, I mean, it had the love love stories in New York are always awesome. Let's just say, <laughs> um, and, and it was a lot more about New York, uh, which I loved mm. in that film too. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I've never seen You've Got Mail. Oh, oh my God, you're in for a treat. I actually like it better than Sleepless in Seattle. I will say. Oh wow, interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check that out then. Um, but of those three movies in which Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are paired. Uh, this one was definitely, Sleepless in Seattle, was definitely the most successful financially and critically. Yeah, I would, I, I can definitely see that. I think the the main theme song was nominated for an Oscar. Like it was, yes. yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but when it's, st- I have to say, like when that song started to play over the credits, it doesn't feel like it fits the movie that well. It feels like they were just like, let's throw an Oscar Beatty song in here. Yeah, no, it's Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. Peebo Bryson, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just like another star power pair of vocalists, yeah. and they just like we're just gonna throw all the hit makers in in this movie, and it's gonna be a crazy premise, but we'll see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> but I Somehow do like. I, I mean, like the soundtrack. The soundtrack is full of like old jazz and like Harry Connick yeah. Jr. Like the like the soundtrack in this movie actually is great. Um, and I, I know I talked about soundtrack a lot with our last film that we did in, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and Tank Girl, but, um, yeah, in, in like at that era, you like movie soundtracks, you actually used to buy the CD of the movie soundtrack, you know, I, oh, I totally yeah. did. So I had so many nineties movie soundtracks at home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so I think that I've got, oh, actually, I did want to mention a few more Annie's because there were some really interesting ones. I guess the role was offered to Julia Roberts, but she turned it down. And then Kim Basinger had actually turned it down because she thought the premise was too ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Um, They also considered Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster, Nicole Kidman, Natasha Richardson, Demi Moore. Like they just, we're considering every 90s famous woman, it feels like. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, like to me more, you could like I could see, I could definitely see um uh like Julia Roberts for sure could have played this sort of like funny, quirky, crazy, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like my best friend's wedding, like her character in that. I feel like it would work. Yeah. Yeah, just that sort of like, I'm going to throw away this perfectly good thing (laughs) for a crazy idea, like or ruin this perfectly good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I've gone through all of my trivia bits for the movie. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to discuss about it. No, that was sort of it. I mean, I just did like the idea of the of it of the the roles that the cities played. Um, I mean, especially New York, but also Seattle. Like, it was great to mm-hmm. kind of see, you know, that um, idea. And I think that that's something that makes them the film hold up a little bit um, in present day because you do have the, like long distance relationships happening a lot more now, mm-hmm. um, and just being able to sort of like see the different cities and that. I thought that that was kind of like one of the charming bits of the movie too. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, are they, is Annie going to move to Seattle? Is Tom Hanks going to move back to Baltimore? Like what, are they going to move to New York? (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) They're going to move to New York and then like on a different timeline, they'll become You've Got Mail. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They move to New York. They become estranged. She starts a little independent bookstore. Oh, I love it. It happens, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So the ratings for this movie um, on IMDb, it had a 72% from 17 critics, which is, it's good, but it is a bit low. Like I thought this was a higher, like I thought it was more of a critical darling than that. Um, And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 75% around the same range for, from 59 reviewers. So like good. And, And to be honest, like I do feel like, for me, that's kind of where it lands as well. 75%, I think, is fair for this movie. I just remember it being so big that I thought it would have had higher ratings. Yeah, I think that, I think that, and yeah, back in the day when it came out, I do think that like people would have sort of glossed over the kind of problematic craziness of the yeah. stalking. And yeah, like it would have been, I think, received much more well than if this movie were actually remade today. I do feel that it would be like a little dark and odd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there would be some catfishing stuff. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, would be weird. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would either be a super dark movie or they'd have to do mega rewrites (laughs) yeah yeah like it would have to be a very different sort of thing um yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) okay well uh why don't we take our second ad break and then we will come back with our final segment this episode is brought to you by park power your friendly local utilities provider in alberta offering internet electricity and natural gas with low rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, nothing changes about the delivery of these utilities to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, 
you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. You, as the consumer, have the choice of who you pay your bills to. Why not choose your friendly local utilities provider? Learn more at parkpower.ca. And now back to the show. Okay, and we're back, and it is time for... It's time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza, the segment where we cast Tony Danza into one of the roles in this movie. So, Fonda, how did it go for you? Was it easy to find a role for Tony? It was kind of easy because I thought that I was like, absolutely, he has to play one of the New Yorkers. And there aren't really actually many New Yorkers in the movie. Um, And so I chose him as the information booth man at the elevators at the Empire State Building. How Annie goes up and talks to him and says, I just have to get up there. And he's like, you know, my wife loves that movie. Get up. Go on. Get on up there. (laughs) I was just like, yes, that's Tony Danza. Love it. Love it. Now, is that for the the remake that we're doing or for the 1993 version? I think he could fit in the 1993 version pretty easily, (laughs) although he would have to be older because that man is older. But yeah, I think he could probably actually go in either. I think that's that role. That role itself is timeless. That elevator man, he's like the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) He probably is the same guy nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so for me, I was kind of focused on the 1993 version specifically. And quite frankly, you know, in 1993, Tony Danza, still a fairly young hunk, also playing the sweetest dad on television ever. So I cast him as Sam. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He would have made a great Sam. I Absolutely. Think. I mean, that's his role in Who's the Boss. He's a widower. He's cha- moving his whole life to another city for his kid. That's, to me, exactly what Sam was doing. Well, maybe it wasn't for Jonah specifically, but, you know, there are parallels. <laughs> yeah. Did you think of an Annie to pair him with as Sam? <gasps> no, I actually didn't, but I should have. I mean, Judith Light comes to mind, obviously. Yes. <laughs> She's also blonde also funny yeah Yeah. (laughs) and their chemistry is also off the charts (laughs) yeah like he definitely does like have that really good 90s dad quality that would is perfect for it yeah absolutely yeah yeah so to me it was just a no-brainer that's where he should be (laughs) perfect yeah perfect maybe he could have played jessica's dad too like that oh yeah totally (laughs) there he is in one scene i guess but <laughs> yeah, it'd be a smaller role, but that's all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. cool. Um okay, well, uh that about does it for this month. Next month, uh we'll be recasting being the Ricardos and I'll have on a special return guest Marita, who everybody knows and loves from repodcasting. So, um watch being the Ricardos on Amazon Prime and recast along with us. In the meantime, if you want to send any correspondence, if you want to give us suggestions or Tell me what you thought of our casting choices. You can do that at repodcasting at gmail.com or on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at repodcasting. Fonda, thank you so much for joining me. I had so much fun recasting this movie. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This is a lot of fun. And now I have to go watch Being the Ricardos. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, good. Um, and then if anybody wants to follow you online, where can they do that? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Fonda, F-A-W-N-D-A. And yeah, and if you want to, if you send an email to the Alberta Podcast Network, it'll come to me. So you can get in touch that way for sure. Beautiful. Okay. So thank you, Fonda. And we'll see you all next month. Bye. Bye.